there's a um, a shop that I see on the way home uh, from when I when I leave church on the way home. You know, both on Sundays as well, obviously as uh, you know during the week when I leave the office. Uh, it used to be a florist. Now I think it sells. Uh, well, I know it sells other things at this point. There's a sign on the side of it, and it says, love is the answer. And every time I go by that, every time I go by that sign, uh, my first thought is, what's the question? I mean, it's, 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 if love is the answer, love is the answer to what? As I was looking at the passage that we're doing this morning, I thought, well, I would reword that a little bit, and I would say, love is the evidence. Uh, you know, love is the evidence, but uh, somebody could very likely just ask as well the evidence to what? Well, see, I think love is the evidence to a heart transformed by a relationship with Christ Jesus. That there is something, there, there, is, there is a transformation that goes on within the the heart of the people the within the um that which makes you you let's put it that way uh, and and there is that transformation that goes on from a relationship with Christ and love is the evidence of that now a very big emphasis on love is in first john and it talks, he talks there in First John, he talks about, um, you know, the relation, a relationship with Jesus brings about change in a person's life. He goes, he hits that over and over again. And it brings about real changes, noticeable changes, God-honoring changes. And one of those changes, he says, is love for others, particularly love for those others with a relationship with Christ. Uh, he reemphasizes that in the, in the verses that we're going to look at today. Let's pray, and we'll get into that passage. Father, thank you for your grace to us that allows us to be transformed and allows us to love uh, like you do. Now, that's a, a very high calling, a very high standard, a, a very, in some ways, we think unrealistically attainable goal that's laid out there, and yet this is what you've called us to. So teach us from your word this morning that we might see what it is, what we kind of know the what, but what we need more help with is the how. How is it that we um, love more like you do? So teach us from your word, uh, your truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, so if you want to turn there, flip there, open there, scroll there, swipe there, however you get there. If you want to get to it, we're going to hit this a few verses at a time as we go through it. Um, love is one of the themes that John addresses several times in this letter. And it's an important evidence, and it's a very important evidence of a heart that's transformed by a relationship with Christ. Now, uh, just a couple of verses at a time, so don't lose your place. Verse 7, follow along. John, 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends... He's, you know, he's addressing those. He's, he call, refers to them as children. He refers to them as friends. These are people he has a connection with. These are people he's concerned about. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
Now, if you're using the Holman Christian Standard, which is what I read from, uh, the, the wording there shows to us, he's talking about us making a choice to love. You know, that it's a choice that we make. Dear friends, let us love one another. Dear friends, let us do that. Let us choose to do this, is what he's saying. Let us make a choice here to do this. Let us choose to live in this way. It's a theme he's been hitting throughout the whole, the whole book. Uh, the whole letter is, is choose to live this way. This is the way God's people. This is, this is some of the results that should come about in your life because God is changing it. It's not just that this is how you live, you know, and you're gaining something from God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you truly have a relationship with God, here are some of the changes that are going to come about in your life. So he's saying, let us choose, choose to live in this way. Make a choice to love. Now here, you know, we're not, t- we're not talking about this, you know, wide-eyed, hubba-hubba, ooh-baby feeling you get, you know, it makes your heart go, ooh-boompa, you know, when you see them. Uh, quite frankly, that, that feeling is lust of the eyes. Now, th- that's where most relationships start. I mean, really, most relationships start with love of the eyes, with lust, excuse me, <laughs> lust of the eyes. So this last Wednesday, St. Patrick's Day, you know, some of you know, some of you are aware of it. Uh, that was 48 years ago, uh, this past Wednesday, Ginny and I had our first date. Any of you men who are worth your salt know exactly the date of your first date with your wife. <laughs> I can only say that because it happened to be St. Patrick's Day. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's what it is. Uh, but it was 40, it was 48 years since that first date. Now what happened is, it was a Saturday, and on that Saturday, uh, I was, I was working and doing millwright work, and I left, I left work. I went over to my friend's house to see, you know, what we're gonna do this Saturday night, you know, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? And, uh, I, I got off work at noon, went over there, walked into their kitchen, and uh, there sat my buddy's sister and this beautiful young thing, Ginny. I will tell you, you know, the first initial thing that you have towards someone, generally speaking, is you are drawn by that lust of the eyes. So don't always think that lust of the eyes is necessarily a negative thing. It's, it can be what gets our attention. Now, if you remain there, you're going to have a problem, you see. If you remain there, you're going to have that issue. But that's initially what draws us and, you know, and, and gets our attention somehow, you know, one way or another. You know, now he tells us, you know, that God himself, what he says, you know, in in, in this verse is that God himself is love. Love is, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves will be born of God and knows God. You know, the one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, don't get this backwards. It's not that love is God. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying love is God, then that if you love, well, you know, you, you know, you, you, then, then that's just, uh, some people believe that. That just the, just the fact that you love, that's an expression of God. No, that's, that's not what it is. He's saying here that God is love, and the, the big difference here is God is the one who defines love by his being, by who he is, by his actions. You know, it, it, it's not defined by man's decisions. It's not defined by man's opinions. 
It's defined by God. Why? Because God is love. The love we're talking about here is, is that, you know, I choose, I, I choose to act for your best interest. I choose to act for your betterment, no matter what. I choose to do what's, what is going to be a, a, a thing to help you. That's what he's talking about here. The level of love that he's talking about is, is that love that's in line with the love that God shows. It's that self-giving, other-focused uh, you know, actions that are for the benefit of the other person with no regard for any residual effects. Not even, not even the enjoyment that comes from helping one another. Now... Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you don't get enjoyment out of helping, out of, out of loving in this way. You know, certainly you might. What I'm telling you is he's not talking about feelings. He's talking about actions that we choose to do. Those actions that we choose to do. You know, but getting enjoyment, you know, it, it, getting enjoyment should not be the motivation. It should be the byproduct of what we do. You see, it's not the motivation for us. You act in love because the love of God compels you to act in love toward another. The love of God compels you. The love of God has changed and transformed you. And it's your commitment to God. And because you love God, then you do what he, you, you do what he says here in loving one another. It's, it's something that flows from your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's something that comes because of your relationship to him. Now, I will tell you, certainly I'm a better person because of my relationship with Ginny. There's no, there is no question about it. I have been able to learn from her example, and she has pointed some things out to me, you know, that I need to change in order to express love to others. Like realizing that people have feelings. That was one of the, one of the things she's pointed out to me, you know, and had to remind me of. Uh, and she's continued to love me, you know, as I work on changing some of these things, refining my character. Now, you see, that is simply a picture of our relationship with God and our relationship with him where, you know, the, the, our relationship with God should affect and refine us, should refine our character, should refine our being. We should be better people because of our relationship with Christ. You know, because of how because of how he affects us and how we we live should be affected by our relationship with him. Our time with him should have an effect on us. Love is something that should be flowing, you know, from our relationship with Christ Jesus. It's it's a growing love that we're understanding more. You know, it's an improving love that we're actually living it out more. It's a love that resembles God's love more and more. You know, it's it's less and less selfish. It's it's less and less less self-centered. Less and less about us. You see, that's the type of love that God has. Now, sometimes we might think that we're helping someone and that we're doing as God wants, loving as he asks us to. And then that other person uh, that we're showing this love to, they don't acknowledge what we did. Or maybe they, they, be, they act as if, well, they deserve what you did for them. You know, and, and you know, then... You know, we get a little bit of tinge of, of regret. We're a little put off by their response. Uh, and that may be an indication to us that we serve them for the wrong reason. 
you know, that we serve them. Instead, we did it for the reward of their gratitude. Love that reflects our relationship with God is the evidence that should come from those who know God. Those who have a relationship with him. And it tells us there the absence of that evidence is an indication the person does not have a relationship with God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. The one who does not love, you know, does not know God, he says. One of the effects of that relationship with Christ Jesus is this type of love, agape. You know, uh, that, that, that love that is from, from God that flows from people who are in a relationship with him. This is the type of, it's a love, it's a love that should show up in his children and through his children. <clears throat> it's a love that, that goes out not because of warm, fuzzy feelings, but because the other person's there. Because they're there. I mean, it, it, he's, it, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty clear. Pick up with me, verse 9, verse 9 and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that he might live, so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now God, he says here, God demonstrated the love for us in the giving of his son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He demonstrated that love for us. You know, he came to earth to live. He came to earth to live among sinful men as a sinless man. He came to live among sinful people as a sinless person. See, we needed a perfect sacrifice for our sin. That was made pretty clear from the beginning in Exodus when they were giving when they were when they were told to sacrifice the Passover lamb and they were told about this about having this feast and about making this sacrifice and part of the instructions they were given is it says that your lamb shall be without blemish and it needs to be perfect Leviticus chapter 1 it says but in his if his gift is for a burnt offering is from the flock uh, from sheep or goats he is to present an unblemished male over 50 times the Old Testament phrase without blemish is mentioned in regard to sacrifices. Without blemish. Over 50 times. It was very clear to them. Peter makes this connection clear in the New Testament. <coughs> he says in, in, uh, in his letter, first letter, Knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How is it that Jesus was sinless? You know, if he was, if he was a human and all humans are sinful, how is it that, that he was sinless? Well, Jesus was conceived by an act of God when Mary was told that she was going to have a child, and she says, hey, I don't get it. That's a paraphrase. Hey, I don't, I don't get it. How could this be? You know, I, I, I've never been intimate with a man. I've never been with a man. How in the world could this happen? And the angel replied to her, it said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, that Holy One. Why? Because it's not of you, Mary. 
Joseph didn't understand how it was going on and how in the world could this happen. He says, you know, I, I, this, it, it couldn't be. He thought Mary was unfaithful to him. And it was explained to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. That God, that God came over and God implanted it. So he didn't, all mankind are sinful. Romans is pretty clear about that. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin. In this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. But you see, Jesus did not inherit sin from man because he is from God. He came to live among sinful men as a sinless man. He remained sinless in all he did. He remained sinless in himself. Until he took our sin upon him. That's the only time that you can say Jesus was sinful. The only time he was sinful is when he took our sin upon himself as that payment for our sin, giving his death on the cross. As he's explaining this to his followers, he said, I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. I lay it down, he says, on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. In First John, in verse 10 there, you know, John calls it the propitiation for our sins. Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about this word before. Propitiation just simply refers to the payment that turns God's wrath away from those who are trusting in Christ Jesus for their salvation. Propitiation is a good word. You know, we, we sometimes say, well, I don't use that word very often. No, you don't, you know, but you, you don't use carcinoma either. But if you get cancer and you, you go to you go, go talk to a doctor and that's the word they use. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't want the doctor to say, oh, that's a nasty bump you got there. No, I want him to know what in the world it is. And that one word that he uses communicates a lot. And it can, 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 I'll get it out. Communicates well to, you know, to others. Same word thing here with propitiation. He's talking about the propitiation. You know, it's that payment, that payment that turns God's wrath away, you know, from those who are trusting Christ Jesus for their salvation. Not trying to work their way. Not trying to work their way for forgiveness, you see. Not trying to work it at all. Not approaching God with a good outweighs the bad mentality. That's a quick way to end up in hell. Because you can never do enough good. To outweigh the bad. That's not what it is. It's, it's realizing and accepting we're only forgiven through the sacrifice of Christ alone. He is that propitiation. We add nothing. We add nothing to what Christ has done on the cross. We don't add anything to it. Those without a relationship with Christ, he says, do not have their sins forgiven because they choose to hang on to their sins. They choose Those who, without a relationship to Christ are choosing to hang on to their sin. You know, they, they say, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. I'll try and work it out on my own. And sin deserves the wrath of God. Someone might say, well, you know, the, the wrath of God, that's pretty severe. Yes, it is. It is. And we need to get Sin is a serious matter. God takes sin, serious, takes sin seriously. It is man who discounts the seriousness of sin, not God. Man discounts the seriousness of sin. We excuse it. We rename it. We ignore it. We discount it. We say, well, it's not so bad. No, it is bad. 
We say, well, well you know, that, that, think of your least little sin. See, we're the ones who rank them like that. Your least little sin caused Jesus' death. Death on the cross. Being, being abused and tortured to death. You see, sin is a serious matter. It's not, sin is not set by man's standards. It is not set by us at all. It's a violation of God. It's a violation of his person, of his being, of his attributes, of his position, of his word. And yes, a violation of his standards. And a violation of God's call to love is sin. He makes that clear here. Pick up with verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. Notice, notice the direction he's talking about here. We must love one another. Who's he writing to? He's writing to those who have a relationship with Christ. And who's he writing about here specifically about our relationship with others who have a relationship with Christ as well. Now, we are told to love our enemies, but that's not what this passage is about. And yes, you are to love your enemies. But here he's talking about loving those, you know, loving one another, loving others who are also in a relationship with Christ and having that love for them, working for their best, doing what we can for their betterment without any regard for return, working for their betterment. You know, love that evidence of a transformed heart with a relationship with Christ. And God's love toward us should result in us loving others. That's what he says. His love in, in, in us, his love toward us should result in us loving others, in us acting for their best interest, you know, simply because they are there. Simply because they are there. Yes, they may have a need, but it's because they are there. It's not because they're deserving. It's not because they care. It's not because they notice. It's because God has done something in us. God has done something to us. God has done something for us. And because of that, then we also are called to love others. And this is what we do, he said. The reason we're given to love others here is because God loved us. That's it. That's the reason we're giving here. Is because God loved us. It doesn't depend on the other person. It doesn't depend on circumstance. The only reason, the only reason we need to love someone, he says, is because God loved us. And he says through that repeated practice of loving others, through that repeated practice of acting for their best, of, of, of our actions for their benefit, through those repeated practice of, of acting and working for their benefit, you know, because God loves us, it says that love is perfected, is made complete in us. It becomes, it becomes fuller. It becomes more visible. It becomes more readily and easily flowing from us. That's the picture that he has there when he says it's made complete. It's not that it's done and over. It's that it's, it's a fuller expression of the fact that God has touched our lives. A fuller, more consistent, more reliable expression of the fact that God has touched our lives. 
Verse 13. Let's read these last four verses here. Verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance, he has given assurance to us from his spirit, and we have seen, and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Now, he says here, you know, that, that we know because, uh, you know, the assurance from the spirit, you know, his spirit, that internal witness, the presence of God within us. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago because we brought it up earlier in John chapter 14. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you, to be with you forever. That's a long time. He will be with you. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him. Why? Because he remains with you and will be in you. He remains with He's there, and he is there as a spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 8, he says, The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. That we have that internal witness. We talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago. You know, it, it, he, he brought it up before. You know, the Spirit, God Himself, is in us. So we have all we need to love as He's called us to. The Spirit Himself is in us, He says. So we have all we need to love others as he calls us to. The result is, he says, is that we testify that, you know, we testify that Jesus, we tell others, you know, we tell others that Jesus has come as the Savior of the world. And we testify with our words and our actions. Those of us who are afraid to speak, you know, before others will say, well, I'll, I, 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 I'll just show them. I'll just show them by my life. I find it interesting that um, Jesus used words along with what he did. He used words. And I don't want to offend you. But, and there's the word, right? Uh, uh, Jesus is better at this than you, and if he used words, why would you think you don't need to? And those who think that we can just, you know, we can just tell people that, that we, we love God and live any way we want. Again, that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how his disciples did it. We are to testify with words and with our actions. This is what he's telling us here in these verses. It's with our words and with our actions. It's not one or the other. It's, it's both. You know, we, we're people who, we are people who realize the seriousness of sin. And because we realize the seriousness of sin, we realize that Jesus came as that propitiation, the means by which God, by, the means by, by which God's wrath is turned away. You see, and we know that, and, and that he's the savior of the world. Now, not meaning, not meaning that everyone, you know, this is not a universal salvation here. It's not meaning that everyone's automatically saved and forgiven, but it's meaning that salvation, all forgiveness, 
comes. All forgiveness comes from God. It comes, it comes through Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, because God says it. Acts chapter 4. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. Well, you know, all these other people, they, you know, they, don't they, they worship the same God. No, they don't. No, they don't. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given to people that we must be saved by. Now, again, some people will be offended by this and will say, well, you know, that's pretty exclusive. No, it's clear. It's clear. Just as when, just as when, it, it, uh, after the Last Supper, and Jesus was sharing with his, with his followers in, in, in the 14th chapter of John, and he says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. What was he doing? Answering Thomas's direct question, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? He's answering that very as clearly as he can. Thomas, you asked the question. Here's the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, isn't that, isn't that kind of exclusive? No, it's clear. There is no other name. There is no other name. Salvation comes from no one else, no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. You know, what, what is that? That's pretty exclusive. No, that's pretty clear. If I'm trying to tell you how to get to my house, and I say, well, come any way you want, you'll never get there. You know, there's, there's, it's, it's one spot. You know, and to be, you get, you want to be clear. He's being clear. There is no other way. You know, the, 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 and this is what he's doing here. He's just being very clear. And whoever confesses, whoever acknowledges Jesus as God, as Savior, God who is, you know, who is love, love Himself, the embodiment of love, as He's telling us here, and it says He abides, dwells, lives in those who have a relationship. We love verbally, yes, but also by actions. You know, the, the love, the care for others that flows from us, and it should be more and more. The evidence of a heart transformed by a relationship with Christ Jesus. So everyone with a real relationship with Jesus has love dwelling in them, it says. Why? Because God is in them and has love dwelling in them, so they have the resources to be able to love as he's called us to. Not the warm, fuzzy feelings. This is not what we're talking about. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about those actions that come because our heart has been transformed by God himself. And as our heart is transformed, we respond to his presence within us and we love others. We remain in God and he remains in us, it says here. That reciprocal relationship We're not walking away from God, and he doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. 
You know, it's not because we earned it. It's not because we earned his continued activity or his continued presence in our life at all. But because God continues to actively help us love as he's called us to, making the presence of God more obvious. And you see, that brings us right back where we started. Love is the evidence of a heart transformed by a relationship with Christ Jesus. Love is the evidence. Jesus said to his followers before he left, he said, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, they will know you're my disciples. Why? Because of your love for one another. That relationship of caring, that relationship of working, speaking, acting for the benefit of others. He expands on this a little bit more. We'll get into those verses next week as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who have loved me and when I didn't deserve it. Those who still love me even though I don't deserve it. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are, they have loved me. You have called us to love one another. To act for the the benefit, the betterment, to act in the best interest of others simply because they are there. Help us to speak and to live as those who are transformed by the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.